0: I was thinking all week about how I'm going to live up to that big walk-up music right there. I, I don't know. Listen to this. This is Luke chapter 1. How's that for a, for a, yeah, Luke 1. Luke 1, listen to this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Eyewitnesses have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, listen, that you may have certainty concerning the things which you have been taught. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught he's saying this is a gospel this is the story of jesus luke is saying i've i've written this down in a very orderly detailed account there's extreme detail and, and order this is so that you would have certainty it's important that we have certainty about this story that we have confidence and certainty now i uh, there anyone who works with young people Today And America in particular will tell you this. They will say, there is an epidemic of anxiety among young people today. It's not just young people, right? But there's an epidemic of fear, of worry, of anxiety, of depression among young people. It's like, it seems like it's worse than it's ever been. Why would that be? Why would anxiety, fear, worry, depression Why would it be so common among young people who have all their life before them? Why would that be? So so I have a theory about this. I've been thinking about it. And here's here's what I think might be true. In our time, the, the young people, for a couple generations now, are getting the story taken away from them. They're getting the story taken away. The story, the true story, the story in which they really are living, the story... That's recorded in the Bible that helps us understand what's happening in our world. Where did it come from? What's happening? Where is it going? Why good? Why evil? Why do I have the feelings that I have? Why do people do the things that they do? Why do they do the things that they do to me? There's a story for that that makes sense of all of that. I was privileged to hear that story repeatedly as a kid I would get off the school bus and my mother would have a little Bible club and before you even went home, you went straight from the school bus to here are the books of the Bible. This is what happened in Genesis. And then they sinned in the garden and then they spiritually died. And then you're a sinner. I mean, this story was like the story. I always thought the whole thing kind of helped frame my life, helped me understand everything that was happening in my life. I feel like I was privileged to have been told this story and it's not like a Fiction it is truth. It's the story. It's what it's the story we're living in And and so here's my theory my theory is you know anxiety and depression are mysterious things you you understand Sometimes they have chemical roots. Sometimes they're things that are inexplicable hard to understand. I get that I know that don't misunderstand what I'm saying But I think there's an epidemic of anxiety and depression among young people primarily because we're getting the story taken away from us because we don't have confidence because we don't have this kind of certainty that we ought to have that the story that's told in this book is true and it roots our life it frames our life and helps us to understand that's just that's just what I think. Notice what the Bible says about the Bible this is in first Timothy here's what it says I'm sorry second Timothy I always do that 2 Timothy 3, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And then this is a famous line in Scripture, all Scriptures breathed out by God. And we get that term inspiration. All Scriptures, you know, Scripture writings are uniquely from God this is the claim of the bible all scripture is breathed out by god profitable for teaching reproof correction training and righteousness That the man of god or the person of god maybe or the kid might be complete and equipped for every good work in other words that you would have a story that you know you found your you have your you always have your place in the story of god you know what's going on even if it's bad then you have hope right this is this is being taken away we need to have this certainty that's why we're talking about can we trust the bible good question can we trust the Bible? This is important, I think, for all of us, no matter what our age. I think we're living in a time when there are just unique attacks on the Bible, on the, on the truth of the story. And if it isn't true, then we're kind of adrift, aren't we? We have to find our own story. Look at this passage of Scripture here in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. It's a unique, interesting passage about the Bible. Knowing this, first of all, Peter says, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecies. Ever been produced by the will of man. In other words, the Bible didn't come from men alone, it came from God working through men. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes unique claims about itself, claims, unique claims of authority, and especially like the gospel accounts. It's interesting that the, 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 the scriptures teach that the, that the gospel accounts of the, we're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Jesus story, and, and, the, and I often will say that they're like miniature biographies of Jesus, and that's just kind of an, it's, it's, it's a placeholder. It's probably an inaccurate way of saying it because each one of the gospel accounts is like it's going somewhere. It, it, it moves quick, goes to the last week of Christ, emphasizes his death and, and, the, and the meaning and the purpose of his death. They're, they're tracks, they're saying something. Anyway, um, the, the scriptures, the, the, if they're true, if what the Bible says about the Bible is true, then we have our story, don't we? Then we have our confidence, then we have our certainty. But if they're not true, then we don't know. It's um, interesting uh, to have my daughter, our oldest daughter, Holly, her husband, Jesse, in redemption. Bella, Aline are here today. I got my grandkids' names in there. I also have our son uh, Chuck, his wife Cece. Well, let's see, we don't have Layla here today, but we have Aspen we have Gunnison Knox. They're all in the house today. Holly wouldn't mind me telling you this. Our oldest daughter, Holly. She wouldn't mind me telling you this. So When she was young, she had doubts about her faith. She wanted to believe and sometimes had doubts. Anybody like that? Like, yeah. She had these doubts that would really just crush her. One, one day we were in our house and she was just saying dad I, I want to believe but sometimes I, I doubt and I said to her well what I did is I I, I I shared with her something that I learned when I was it was in high school I was sitting in a study hall in high school and I was thinking about my dad is a Baptist pastor he's a Christian, my mom and dad are Christians they happen to be Baptist um The best Christians are Baptists. You knew that, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to share that because a lady came up to me at a conference one time, and she was all about Baptists. I'm like, well, we want to remember that Jesus didn't call himself Baptist. She goes, really? I'm like, really? You didn't know that? Like, sometimes Baptists are a little bit like, get out of the bubble, bro. (laughs) It's like, anyway, you don't want to talk about that right now. I can just tell. Anyway, what was I saying? I was in school, and I thought my dad's Baptist, my mom's Baptist, huh? Funny, I'm Baptist too. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know if that's like intellectually honest. I'm just who my parents are. Is this really true? And so I didn't know what to do about that. But I just thought in my my kind of sophomoric thinking, I bought books on evidences. It's pretty, That's kind of fun. It's kind of, evidences are fun. You know, evidential apologetics. Josh McDowell wrote a little book, um, More Than a Carpenter. I read that book, and then I read his other books that were like evidence that demands a verdict, more evidence that demands a verdict, which really brought up problems that people said that I didn't even know that they said, but it was interesting to read the book. I read all kinds of things, about evidences for the Christian faith. And I don't know if you're like I am, like, that's interesting. What's the point of all of that? What's the the purpose of all of that? What's the importance of all of that? And I think there is a point, a purpose, an importance to evidences. We're we're actually gonna talk about that today. In a three-part series on the Bible today, we are gonna talk about five evidences that the Bible is true. And in this high school um, study hall, I decided I would dedicate my study hall to reading evidences to just, to confirm what I wanted to believe was true. Um and that was this is what my parents taught me is really true and, and so I would read these evidences. Okay. So reading those I got a series of these little things in my head, just different evidences that were interesting. I'm going to tell you a little story about Holly in a minute. I'm going there. And I'm not going to forget. Honest, I'm not. If I forget, you remind me. But but the reason I'm saying this is because I. Like, what is the good of evidences? I would say, let's just say it this way. If you're a believer, then evidences that the Bible is true, that Jesus who He said He is, they are. Um, they're like they're like general revelation, right? The scriptures say that you know the the that creation points us to God. It's not a complete message about God, but it's helpful. And I think evidences are like that. They're like common grace. They're like general revelation. For a, for a believer, they're, they're kind of fun. Uh, let, let's say an unbeliever, a skeptic, that's kind of making their way toward God, they, they can be somewhat helpful, and they can be used by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to enlighten a person's heart for them to genuinely believe, but, but God can use this as a part of that enlightenment. And then for, this, for the hardened skeptic that just wants to argue, I have a friend who was here in our service not too long ago, he'll, he'll be back. Uh, his name's uh albert spaulding and he works on campuses and albert says the nice thing about evidences with the hardened skeptic is it's it's like putting a stone in their shoe i thought that was kind of funny it's like just irritate them a little bit you know just make them think a little bit like um you can't so quickly dismiss all the christian arguments and so evidences well here's the deal and you wondered if i would make my way back i was i thought i'm going to share these evidences with my daughter holly just sit there for 30 minutes and in our living room, and I just said, "Well, here are some reasons why it's credible intellectually to believe. Here's some evidence for the, you know, the authority of the scriptures, and and all of that." And I kind of went through that, just like off the top of my head, things that i had read as a kid. And then she was really grateful. Thanks, Dad. That's helpful. And then we were—I was sitting on the couch, and there's a radio behind me, or stereo. I reached behind me and I turned the radio on. Christian radio was on, and R.C. Sproul was on the radio. And then he went through almost like he was reading from my script. And I just want to share with you, R.C. Sproul did not read from my script, just in case you're wondering. yeah, he, It's almost like he was saying the exact things that I had just said. It was so uncanny that I looked over at Holly and I said, that's crazy. She goes, it is. And last night we were talking about this and she said, Dad, it just seems like God has done that continuously in my life. When I had doubts, he helped me to believe. And I said to her, it's like, you want to believe. And it's like, it's true. You, this is an appropriate thing to do. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. He cares about that. He will arrange things to help strengthen your faith. So I hope this helps you strengthen your faith. I got to get cracking now. Five things, I got to make it through five things before noon or I'm going into overtime and you have to pay me more. Number one, the nature of the narrative is evidence the Bible is true and trustworthy. Let's see if we can get this on regular time. The nature of the narrative is evidence the Bible is true and trustworthy. In other words, the kind of book the Bible is. Sometimes people think the book is a collection of like little, you know, kind of Aesop's fables. That anybody who's studied the Bible seriously knows that's not true. It makes very, very strident, historic claims for itself. It, it, it claims to be, repeatedly claims to be, especially in these gospel accounts that we're talking about, uh, the, the nature of it is it is eyewitness testimony. It's history of the highest order. Eyewitness testimony is the best. The eyewitness accounts... And these eyewitness accounts were written between 15 and 25 years after the death of Jesus. And the apostles were able to appeal to living witnesses as a testimony and at the time wasn't disputed. It it was much later that people began to dispute these accounts. Look at these passages of Scripture. And notice that the next passage is going to talk about eyewitness accounts. This is from Luke 1. I read it already. But notice this. Inasmuch as we've undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that happened among us that were accomplished, as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, the claim is that we saw in space and time facts that happened and we carefully recorded them. This is especially true about Luke. Look at the next passage. And this would be um, also, um, well, Luke in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, we've put together, like in the New King James, it says, many infallible proofs. So they're making a claim of actual facts, not just kind of like myths or stories or moral stories, but actual facts. In 2 Peter 1:16, again, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. He says we were eyewitnesses. And then they would appeal to living people who were eyewitnesses there. Look at the next, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Same thing here, they, they then appear, this is like the, uh, uh, an expression of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, and it's talking about the death, burial, resurrection, and testimony of Jesus, and then it says, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. That's a lot of personal witnesses. Most of them are still alive. You can go talk to these people at the time they're writing here. You can, you can go talk to these people. That there are other many other examples in the Scripture. Let me give you just one. I think this is interesting. In, in Mark 15, there in the in the account of the crucifixion of Jesus, it says they compelled a passerby. Remember Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and and then and then um, Mark he says, you know, the father of Alexander and Rufus. It's like not just oh, there was a guy. I mean, anybody can say the kind of thing. Once upon a time, long ago, in a faraway place. That's not how the Bible was written. The Bible isn't written once upon a time long ago in a faraway place. It was like, you remember Simon, you know, and Rufus? You remember them? I mean, you can go talk to them. It's eyewitness accounts. The other thing about it is interesting is they were honest eyewitness accounts. If you're going to make something up, if you're going to make like a holy book, you're going to make up your own holy book, you wouldn't put your own mistakes in it. You wouldn't put your own fears, you wouldn't put your own failures. The Bible does that. The writers of the Bible put their own mistakes and fears and failures in it. It's honest eyewitness account. And here's something that I think is a powerful thing to think about, and that is the unity of the Bible. When you study the Bible and you realize that it's written over a long period of time in different places by different authors over a long period of time, its unity is is it's uncanny. It's remarkable. In other words it's a singular story it's a it's an overarching kind of meta narrative that fits beautifully together okay so if you're a child and you go to vacation Bible school and you hear the story of the Bible it's simple and it makes sense to you you can read the Bible as a child and understand much of it but you know this is true you can study the Bible as a scholar scholars will 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 they will say I know a guy who's a scholar of the book of Acts that's his specialty, the Book of Acts. He's spending his entire life studying the Book of Acts and he would tell you this, I will st- I, when I die I will still n- I will still not have exhausted the material in the Book of Acts. The Bible's powerful unity and then it's written over a long period of time. By lots of different people, and it's a it's a singular idea that makes sense to a child and to a scholar. And here's something more, and this is just a bit of an aside, but this is always thrilling to me. This happened to me the other day. Why do you read the Bible over and over again? You might read your favorite novel once or twice, but we Christians read the Bible over and over again. Why? Why is that? It's the living Word of God, and it speaks to our situation. And so, what you'll notice, you know, this is true. Your situation changes like you know right now you're young you're not thinking about death you read over those parts in the Bible when you get my age you will slow down on those parts just saying you will or, or you know this happened to me the other day there's a passage of Scripture that's very very familiar to me I practically have it memorized I was gonna put a passage of it into a little storytelling thing I was doing at a hymn sing over in Kalamazoo as I was studying for that I thought where is that oh that's right that's in Psalm 37 I haven't read Psalm 37 for a while. I opened it up on my computer and my software. I sat it there in the corner of my my loft where I'm writing, and there was Psalm 37, and I read it as if I had never read it before in my life. I burst into tears because it was speaking exactly to a situation almost like like the Lord was sitting in the room with me going, look at this, look at this, look at this. That's the way the Bible is. It's a powerful thing. This is a part of the unity of the Bible. People who dismiss the Bible lightly are people who usually haven't really thought really carefully, because even even the most thoughtful critics of the Bible will not dismiss the Bible lightly. They recognize that the Bible has is an incredible piece of literature, at least, right? And so, this is just some of the things. This is one evidence, one of five evidences today, that the Bible is true and trustworthy. Is the nature of the narrative, the nature of the book itself? It's kind of like the character of the book let's look at the second one the second thing is the factual accuracy of the bible this is just fascinating and anybody can study this i saw this in a simple way like going to the holy land like my goodness these places really exist you can go to these places and you can see them and what's interesting about that is the bible talks about lots of places that people said didn't exist bless you for years these places didn't exist. The Bible. People that were like bright scholars would say, well, the Bible is the only place. And this is really common, you know, in secular literature, they say, well, the Bible is the only place this is recorded, so we're not sure it's true. And over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, you can, anybody can Google this. You can Google this and search it yourself. Over and over again, places and things that people have said didn't exist because they only were mentioned in the bible were discovered to have existed Uh, i've been there like in the holy land they said people would say well there's no hezekiah's tunnel i i you didn't go did you i walked i got my pants wet walking through hezekiah's tunnel for years people said it's not there i walked through it myself um this is true about Solomon's porch and the steps. Uh, people say, well, that's referred to in the Bible, but we've never found it, so it must not be. And in the nineties, that when I went to the Holy Land, I stood where Jesus' feet were on Solomon's on the, the Solomon's steps, on the south. Part of the temple and we could go on and on giving you other examples of this the bible is factually accurate there's fulfilled prophecy in the bible hundreds of fulfilled prophecies probably 300 or more just messianic prophecies that have been fulfilled that were predicted hundreds of years before christ was born and fulfilled in the life of christ the bible we can it's true and trustworthy and one of the evidence of that is that it's factually accurate the, con- the confirmation as I mentioned of archaeological discoveries like the, the nation of the Hittites you can study that just itself and people said the Hittites are mentioned in the Bible but they're not mentioned anywhere else and now they have cuneiform they have all kinds of archaeological discoveries that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Bible was true and what the Bible claimed about the Hittites was was actual historic fact this would be true if you ever studied the book of Nahum and you saw and you read about the fall of Nineveh and the fascinating archeological discoveries about the fall of Nineveh and how they coincide with the prophecy of Nahum, which was, before, which was a prophecy before it fell. And the, and, the, and the accuracy of that is a shockingly interesting thing. The existence of the city of Petra, the pool of Siloam. For years they said it didn't exist. It's only mentioned in the Bible. I saw it, I was there. When we, we, we saw it when we went to the Holy Land and sc- scholars will say we were wrong about that. I think I mentioned Hezekiah's tunnel. One of the places that we visited, when we went to the Holy Land, which which brought me to tears was was the Qumran community out in the desert, by the Dead Sea, and it was the, the location of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I remember this well, because when I was a little boy, I was riding along in the car with my dad, and I said something to my dad about, how do I know the Bible's true? And my dad said to me, well, we have some time here. Let me tell you a story. And my dad told me this story, the fascinating, amazing story of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the significance, I'm not a scholar enough to explain it to you, but I can tell you this. Like the oldest existing manuscripts of parts of the Bible, like for instance, there's the 24-foot roll of Isaiah that was found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. The little Bedouin shepherd boy was throwing rocks in a cave, heard an odd sound. Found these cobblers, cut some of them up to use for shoes. Later on, they found out that they were ancient manuscripts of the Old Testament, com- huge comp- manuscripts of some parts, complete manuscripts of Isaiah and other parts of the Old Testament. And they were 1,000 years older than the oldest existing manuscripts at the time. This would be fascinating, right? Because people that would claim that the Bible was kind of oral history and it was passed down and it was distorted, we would be able to tell now comparing. Uh, manuscripts that are a thousand years apart in time if that was true and when they compared those scholars will tell you today that the variation is less than five percent it it involves no significant difference at all it's a shocking what happened over those what was demonstrated in the Dead Sea Scrolls over those 1,000 years this kind of thing happens commonly as a matter of fact um, someone has said I don't know if I can find it in my notes here I found it interesting Um, if you uh Yeah, it was uh, a Presbyterian pastor um, He said we find situations like this frequently by serious students of the Bible If you want to seem very wise and popular today You can gain attention by making a career of criticizing the Bible Show all the places where modern scholarship proves that the Bible is wrong If you're not afraid of looking very foolish about 30 years from now And perhaps sooner when the explanation of the apparent difficulty is found however if you want to look wise in the future though you may be thought foolish now you should take your stand on the integrity and the complete accuracy of the bible if you do you will find and and he's talking about sir william ramsey which we'll 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 talk about him in a moment there you could look these up you could google these things the pilot inscription which was Pilate's mentioned and there's no, his, there's no historic or, uh, or archaeological confirmation of that until, okay, now there is. The Hezekiah tunnel, I mentioned. The Taylor Prism. Study that. Look it up. The David inscription found in 1993. The Moabite stone found in 1968. The Nazareth house. We went to Nazareth. Some disputed that it was the place of Jesus. G- the Nazareth house, it was found. The Cyrus calendar, the, again, the Pool of Siloam. I believe it was 2004. 2004 the pool of Slum, the history of the the hittite nation and Solomon's steps I mentioned those things these are just here's the frustration about preaching a message like that this I Have so much material. So in other words, I could stand here and tell you stories for hours About the evidence for the historical accuracy of the Bible. There's so much material. It's frustrating to decide which stories that you tell You can have certainty About the truth and the trustworthiness of the Bible for that reason the the factual accuracy so you have the you have the nature of the Bible you have the factual accuracy of the Bible let's keep moving number three you have the number and the quality of the manuscripts of Scripture this is evidence that it's true and trustworthy. This is one of the things I remember the most when I was in school, was to study what, the, what, what, what scholars say about the extant or existing manuscript portions or fragments of just the New Testament, thousands of them. We Over 20,000 manuscript portions for the Bible, thousands of New Testament portions, and when they're compared to the other history of antiquity, we accept as historically accurate other writings that are extra biblical writings that have very little manuscript authority very few manuscripts existing the bible has thousands of copies of copies now the question that you might have is this am i losing you look like you're sleeping if i'm losing you okay so the so so here's the thing yeah don't do that that's really depressing here's the thing if you think about that what what about you think about what if we had the original wouldn't it be cool to have the original I kind I of thought about that this week. It's better to have thousands of manuscript portions or fragments that have spread all over the ancient world and throughout, you know, hundreds of years, it's better to have those in order to compare to look for the accuracy or the truth and trustworthiness of the Bible than if we had one that somebody claimed was the original. Do you understand that? If we had one and somebody said, this is the original, then, then you might think, well, I'm not so sure about that but if over time this was copied with scrupulous exactness by people who had a very high regard for scripture which is exactly what happened the stories are amazing about that if we have literally thousands of portions of scripture that are spread around the ancient world and found in different places and at different times then scholars can come together and they can collate them together which they've done with computers and they can study how the variations and the variations are so minor that they affect no major doctrine of the Bible. We have a true and trustworthy book in the Bible, and one of the reasons that we know that is because of the mountains of extant or existing manuscript fragments, literally thousands of them, better than having the original. Number four, and there are only five, number four, the resilience of the Bible against this attack is evidence that it is true and trustworthy. So no literature in all of the history of mankind has been so inspiring, so helpful, so life-changing, and so uh, and so vehemently attacked as the Bible has been attacked. Some of the brightest people, some of the greatest scholars in the world have rejected the Bible and attacked it, but they haven't been able to silence the message of the Bible. This is an example in history of Sir uh, William Ramsey. It's a fascinating a story he was a bible scholar and he was he was taught a liberal view that um that the author of luke acts that that was not what the bible claims the author of luke acts was but that it was written at a different time and he thought well in order to confirm what he had been taught he had the privilege of literally being he was sponsored to be able to travel in turkey now this was back in a time when many of the the geographical locations of the bible and there are scores of them there's a lot of detail in the luke acts especially acts lots of detail it's a travel narrative and has all kinds of detail about regions about cities about people about even about even how people the, the names that are given to people and their titles which would be very specific to a time We wouldn't be, like in a culture, we might call somebody a coach when they should be a chief, right? Am I making any sense? We might call somebody a prime minister when he should be called a president. Am I making sense? Are you with me on this? And so you'd have to be in that culture to really understand the kinds of titles that are used. So here in the narrative of Luke Acts, you have all kinds of geographic references, all kinds of specific titles that are given. It would be easy to debunk this as not historically accurate. And Sir William Ramsey, even though he wasn't a, an atheist or a skeptic, he, he had a bias, he had and he wanted to confirm that bias by going and traveling and finding these places. What he discovered was so uncannily, it was so highly accurate in terms of the history and the regions and the architecture that he became a very devout and, and convinced um, believer in the uh, in the uh, accuracy of the book of acts matter of fact it's, it, he wrote this the acts of the apostles was the only record and ramsey skeptical fully expected his own research to prove the author of acts i'm not quoting ramsey i'm reading about him ho- it was hopelessly inaccurate he says and this is quoting ramsey now further study showed that the book could bear the most minute scrutiny as an authority for the facts of the Aegean world, the Grecian world. And that was written with such judgment, such skill, such art, such perception of truth to be a model of historical statement. He said, not only is it historically accurate, But it's uniquely historically accurate and it should be a model for other historians this is the Bible we're talking about the Bible is historically accurate this can actually be proven even by people who reject the demands of the Bible upon themselves which people often do this is put in poetry and I remember hearing this as a boy listen to this poem last eve I paused beside the blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring the Vesper chime. And looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all those hammers so? Just one, he said. And then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's word. For ages, skeptic blows have beat upon. Yet, though the noise of falling blows is heard, the anvil is unharmed and the hammers are gone. Skeptics don't outlast the Bible. Number five, and this is just a powerful one. Why do we know the Bible is true and trustworthy? Well, from paying attention to what happens when people build their lives on it. People who build their lives on the Word of God, the Bible, the fruit of it is a beautiful thing. Think about that just for a minute. The fruit of it. Have you ever seen a cardboard, cardboard testimony service? You ever seen that? It's like a, a church will line up, and not everybody wants to tell a big story. So what they'll do is they'll walk out with a cardboard, you know, and it will say, drunk. And then they'll flip the cardboard over, and they'll go, sober. We've got people in the house like that right here. Their cardboard testimony was like drunk, sober, lonely, happy, (laughs) immoral, pure, depressed, glad, insecure, right? Cardboard testimonies, you have one. Why is that? Because in that area of your life, you trusted what the Bible says. When people build their lives on the Bible, young people, you live in a time when they are going to try to take your story away, and you'll be so confused and so messed up. But you look around at the people that you admire, they're people who trusted that what God said is true, and they built their lives on the Bible. When I was a boy, we would hurry home from church on Sunday, and we would have dinner. We hurried so that we could have dinner before the radio program, Unshackled, came on. The lo- <laughs> you like that, Eddie? <laughs> the longest running radio program of any kind in all time is a story about how people's lives were changed by trusting the God of the Bible. And the stories will never stop. Because people who build their lives on the Bible, their lives change The Bible is just true. You can go out and prove it today. I did one day. I was driving down the road. (laughs) Summer day, Newark, Ohio. Family in the van. We're just driving down the main drag, 28th Street. And we look up, and there's a guy, and he is abusing his girlfriend or wife. And my wife says, you got to stop him. And I'm like, he looks bigger than me. You know, it's like... I think I will call the police. They have guns and tasers and whatnot. <laughs> I look at it like, oh, that's not good. So I stopped the car, and I, and I go, and it's, it's back in the dark ages before cell phones existed. And I went into this little convenience store, and I called the police. And I said, yeah, I got here. this guy hurting this girl. And then I stepped out, and I noticed that they were walking right in front of the, right in front of the store, and he was just going after her. So I called out to him, I said, hey, leave her alone. When I did that, he's whirled around, looked at me, and all of a sudden he started charging me. I'm like, oh my god, that's great. <laughs> so, I'm gonna have to kill this guy. Anyway, so he's coming, he's coming after me, and he looked like he was good at beating people up. And I thought about different things I could say. You know how you're, you think of things really fast? First thing that came to my mind was to say to him, hey, why don't you hit me? You hit her, she's not going to take you to jail. But I promise, you hit me, you're going to jail. I thought, yeah, I probably shouldn't say that. You know, uh, yeah, that's not good. And then I remembered the Bible. I remembered the Bible, the soft answer that turns away wrath. I thought, I should probably try that before he kills me. I thought about taking off my glasses, because I thought, he's going to hit me and break my glasses. But then I thought, you know, if I do this, it's kind of like saying, let's go. i don't want to do that. But I did think, a soft, do you remember this, Lois? Mm-hmm because right during this time, this guy is charging up at me and I'm thinking a soft dancer turns away raft. You know what I hear? I hear the car van. I heard the van go, Chomp. <laughs> you, were you there, Chuck? You remember that? Lock me out of the van. I'm like, well, I'm like, <laughs> you guys are going to be safe while this guy beats me to the pulp air in front of the van. <laughs> I just remember hearing the doors lock. I thought, wow, that's great. So not going to get any help from them guy's coming at me like this and I say to him please don't do that man you wish you hadn't done that don't do it soft answer right so the bible says soft answer turns away wrath and it was almost like I shot the guy with a gun he was just coming after me and as soon as I said he stopped and then he started sort of circling me like this and he goes I'm going to write your license plate down and I thought to myself that's fine I'm not the criminal here write it down but he didn't hit me you know why? Because the Bible is true. <laughs> That's why. You can go prove the Bible any day of the week. Just go do what it says. Amazing books, true. It's God's Word, absolute truth. You, you need it. Here's an amazing amazing. You, you've heard of The Mutiny on the Bounty, right? You saw the movie, or maybe if you're really smart, you read the book. The Mutiny on the Bounty. The untold story of The Mutiny on the Bounty is what happened after the mutiny, right? So they set Captain Bly adrift. And then they land in Tahiti, and they hang around for a while, and then a group of them decides they're gonna go, and they're gonna flee uh, being detected, and they find their own little paradise, their own Pitcairn Island. A handful of them take the ship, the bounty, and they sail to Pitcairn Island with some Tahitians, and some of the men, I think four or so, some of the men from the ship. And at first, it's like they're living in a tropical paradise, and then one of them discovers that he can make uh, alcohol, and he and then there's a problem with alcoholism and there's a problem with immorality and then one of the men steals another man's wife and then there's a terrible you know bloodbath and now one of the guys he's so sick with alcohol that he jumps off a cliff to his death and another one of the fellows is so dangerous because he's under the influence of alcohol he's insane and the other guys hack him to death with an axe Two guys are left now. Two of the men from the ship are left on Pitcairn Island. One of them is literate. One of them is illiterate. The illiterate one finds a Bible from the ship and the Book of Common Prayer from the Episcopal Church in England, the Church of England, and he can't read it. The other guy is sick, and he's dying. He takes the book to the other guy. The other guy teaches him to read and dies, and then the last remaining guy spends a couple years reading the bible (laughs) a number of years later when they discovered this island it was christian the man had taken the bible become a christ follower led the others on the island to faith and they actually had a christian community there when people arrived that lasted for many 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 years the bible it was um we have a picture of the, the bible the Bible was taken to the Mariner's Church in Boston, the Pitcairn Bible, and the people from the island, many years later, in the 1950s, they said, we want our Bible back. And a Sunday school teacher on the island appealed to the American government to get the Bible back, and the Bible is now back on Pitcairn Island. You can build your life on the Bible. The Bible is true, and it's trustworthy. And if you're young... Or if you're old, it's like the Polaris. You know this, right? Some of you know this a lot better than I do. If you were lost in the night, and it was a clear night, and you could find the Big Dipper, you could find the North Star. You could find your way in the dark. The Bible is Polaris to the soul. The Bible, God's Word, it's like the great North Star that points us to Christ. It helps us to locate ourselves in our world no matter how dark our world is, no matter how frightening our world is, no matter how sad our world is, this we must not let go of. At all costs, we must never believe the folly or even the outright lies of people who take away from us the story that we've been given in the Bible. The Bible is true, and it is trustworthy. It's the great Polaris, the great North Star of your life, that will point you all of your life to Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have a Bible. Thank you for the, it's just fun to look at some, just a handful of the many evidences that the Bible that people mock and that the Bible that often people rebel against or the Bible that people doubt or that they publicly malign when they have the public microphone. It's not a book of myths, but it is the very word of God. Thank you, Lord, for it. Help us, Lord, I pray, to submit to his teachings that we would know our the savior of the bible the lord jesus amen